then the officer said to me, well, I'm not allowing you to preach here. And then I said, well, let's make a deal. You'll kill me right after I say amen. And so the atmosphere was okay. But that officer, he pointed his pistol at me and just waited until I finished my sermon. I preached my sermon and I, I got very tough on them. I said, well, you are killers. You're terrorists. You kill women and children. And others have killed your children and your women. So hatred is here. There is no peace possible. Hello, and welcome to the All Things Reconciled podcast. We want to inspire and equip you to embody and embrace a ministry of reconciliation in your local context. I'm your host, Jeanette Bohm. With us is Phil Wagler of the Peace and Reconciliation Network. Thanks, Jeanette, and hello, everyone. I'm glad that you're a part of us. And this podcast is really aimed at in- inspiring and equipping people like you to take reconciliation into the everyday stuff of life, because this is the everyday task of the Christian, to be peacemakers and reconcilers in our own lives, in our households, our churches, our cities, our nations, and this world. And so we hope you're inspired and equipped in that direction. And. In this series, we are zeroing in on understanding reconciliation through our own stories, and we're very pleased to have Johannes Reimer with us. Hello, Johannes. Hi. Hi, everybody. Glad that you're with us, Johannes. And uh, you have an an amazing story of God's reconciling in your own life. You serve as the global, the director for the World Evangelical Alliance's Public Engagement Department which just sounds like a massive title. You're in charge of everything. Not really of everything, but, you know, some little issues here and there in the world. Little issues, yeah, because there's a few things going on in this world. Sure, sure. But your engagement in this is really rooted in your own story. Could you tell us a little bit, like, where did Johannes Reimer come from? Where did you start life? Yeah, well, thank you, thank you. Thank you again for inviting me to speak to you, dear friends. It is a, a very special moment in my life because if you look back to my own history, to my own story, you would never have expected a person like that to speak to you because I was born in a German family in the former Soviet Union. My pe- family was removed from the Caucasian mountains where they were living for decades in 1941. And they were sent to a concentration camp, to a labor camp in the north of Kazakhstan, which is western Siberia, a very cold place, and imprisoned there. So when I was born in 1955, then I was sentenced the day after my birth to 25 years of camp. And so that's how my life started. You would never have expected that this person will be be able to manage a life of a different format. My grandfathers, both of them, they died in 1942. My grand-grandfathers were shot in 1937 by the Soviets. And so that's how my life started. We lost four times everything, absolute everything, running away from the places where my parents were living in trying to resettle. In 1976, finally, my family was, well, more or less pushed out of the Soviet Union, and we ended up in Germany. And uh, I married a nice German girl under the rainbow, uh, and a stork was uh, welcoming all of us. 
So it was a great time. <laughs> we married. We spent a great time together. And I uh, studied in the different places of the world, theology, became professor of theology in South Africa. And uh, such a, a life with all kinds of different stories and countries and different nations and cultures automatically leads you into conflict zones. So if you ask myself, how did I become a peace person? I would say my first experience was at the age of about 19, 19. I just became a Christian through a miraculous intervention of God into my life. A young Soviet communist and uh, the Lord spoke to me, I became a Christian. And then the Soviet government uh, uh, sent me to a, to a military service and reading the New Testament, I felt, you know, I don't, didn't want to serve in the Soviet army. The Soviet army was fighting the Chinese. There was a war between China and Russia. And I was quite sure they would send me to the front line and shoot Chinese for nothing. So I decided I would reject military service. And of course, I ended up in a labor camp because there was no way to become a conscientious subjector in, in the former Soviet Union. And while being there, I experienced all kinds of cruel stuff. And one experience I want to share with you. You know, one day an officer brought me during the night into a little room. And then they asked me, do you really believe that you are Christian and you, you will never fight and never pick up arms and all of this? I said, yes, I do. And I was a boxer because before I became a Christian, you hmm. know, doing boxing. And so that officer knew, of course, my story. So he's, he says, well, we'll check on you. And then he opened the New Testament and read the passage out of Matthew 5.39, which says, if somebody slaps you on your right cheek, you just turn your left to the person. So he called in a small little Muslim guy and asked him to hit out one of my teeth on my right side. And so he started to uh, try to hit my teeth out. But, you know, German teeth, they are real teeth. You know, it's not <laughs> that easy to get a tooth out of a German mouth. And the boxer is a different story altogether. So at the end, it was quite a procedure to get a tooth out of my mouth. Uh, the first experience was kind of difficult, but I still stood it. But then next night, next tooth. Next night, next tooth. And always saying, we'll see how much Christian you are, how much you really believe what you say. In the time, time being, I started to hate that little Muslim. He, he was pushed to do this, but, you know, I, I felt his feasts. And I started to suffer under my disability not to love that person. And then I uh, still remember 1975, it was uh, right uh, in front of the Eastern celebration. Uh, I was called in and the officer said, it's Good Friday today. And uh, they have killed your Lord 2,000 years ago. And we are going to kill you. And believe me, you're going to enjoy every bit of it because you will also suffer as your Lord did. And then he says, here you have a day of time. Go and check on your own attitude and your beliefs. And if you stick to it, then we'll kill you. But you may change your mind. And then you just say, no, I don't want to believe any longer. 
and then we will we'll release you. So anyway, I had a day of time. I went on my own to a certain place with lots of grass, high grass, and I fell into that grass, and I started to cry tears. I said, Lord, how comes I can't love that Muslim? You know, you died for me, and I'm not able to lose a couple of teeth for this guy. So I, I just hate the person, and please forgive me, and please help me to love those people, even if they want to kill me. And so while I'm praying, the Holy Spirit fell on me with such a power. Yeah, I couldn't stand anymore on my knees, so I broke down and laying on the ground, crying tears. I was felt with an incredible love. And then minutes or day, hours later, I was invited to the same officer, a big guy. He asked me, have you decided? I said, yes, I have decided, and I will I will stay to my to, I will I'll stay to my faith. I, I'm still believing in Jesus. I'm not going to pick up any arms. So then he showed me his feast and he says, Now I'm going to hit you. And I will kill you. Right here. So he is just taking speed and uh, his feast flies into my face and some stops somewhere just near my eyes. And then this guy starts to yell at me and he says why are you loving me, you crazy guy? Well, I didn't particularly love him, <laughs> but uh, but uh, obviously he felt a change in atmosphere. He felt a change in situation, and so he couldn't hit me. And uh, of course, that month passed, and at the end of the story, I was uh, well, almost deadly hurt, and almost uh, lost my love life there in that labor camp was pushed out of the country, but I learned my lesson. You see, loving Jesus and loving people gives you an incredible power. And you are able to go through life and death because you have a message to, to tell people. And maybe the other story, which I uh, later, many years later experienced, introduces another phase of public engagement you remember South Africa. I was uh, studying theology at the University of South Africa, and the University of South Africa appointed me to teach missiology in, in their school. So I did evangelism in the country, and one day a general gave his life to Christ. And years later, that general became the minister of defense when the black forces and the white forces decided to sign an agreement of peace, and the system of apartheid was stopped. And so the government, and especially the this general, they tried to unite two armies, and it was so difficult. So one day he phones me, and he says, Johannes, the black forces, the ANC forces, they were trained by Soviet officers, by Russians. And so the only white people, those black people, will accept are Russian-speaking. Would you please come to our country? And maybe traveling through their, their camps, God gives, grants you grace, and we will, we will come out of this story without a war. So I found a little team, music, music team in Belarusia, and with this team, we went to South Africa. Just one, one story of many, six weeks traveling camp after camp, but the first camp in the Kruger National Park, one of the most beautiful national parks in the world. 
we were hitting that camp and the soldier came out and yelled at me and he said, you pale face, you disappear, we'll kill you right here. So I showed him the letter of the Minister of Defense and that we were allowed to run an evangelistic uh, worship service with them. And so he was very mad. So he, f he got his officer and then the officer said to me, well, I'm not allowing you to preach here. And then I said, well, let's make a deal. You'll kill me right after I say amen. But you allow us to sing and allow me to say a couple of words. Our team was singing songs, Russian songs and English uh, language songs. And, and so the atmosphere was okay. But that officer, he pointed his pistol at me and just waited until I finished my sermon. You know, your sermon becomes longer and longer. And longer. <laughs> I was going to say, that, <laughs> yeah. that that's not yeah. hard for a preacher. You just keep going. Yeah, this is yeah, a total no, no, invitation. I, right after that, I, I usually told my students, you know, you need a pistol in front of your face in order to learn proper <laughs> preaching. But anyway, I, I, I preached my sermon and I, I got very tough on them. I said, well, you are killers. You're terrorists. You kill women and children. And others have killed your children and your women. So hatred is here. And so how long are you going to, to proceed? I mean, your country will never be peacified. There is no peace possible. So I was preaching on, on that issue. And while I'm saying this, all of a sudden, this officer's hand started to shake. And then we saw soldiers falling on their knees everywhere in the room, people falling down, uh, kicking their weapons aside crying tears and this officer his hand was shaking the pistol was shaking and then finally he fell on his knees started to cry tears we had afterwards an incredible celebration of grace they started anew with jesus six weeks traveling south africa no civil war nowhere at all what year was that johannes it was right after 1991 1992 so what I'm what I'm curious about, Johannes, is you were a young man back there in that labor camp. You're you're, you're getting punched by a, a young another young man. Your life is in danger. Could you help, help? This is what's going through my mind. I'm wondering, like, what formed you for that moment? Like, what helped you? You know, obviously, you know, you're you're praying the the work of the Spirit in your life. Obviously, what were the what were the foundational pieces? What prepared you to live that way in that pressure situation back in that camp in the Soviet Union? Well, when I became a Christian, uh, I was invited to a discipleship group. And I would say this discipleship group became, um, became the most important school of my life because in that discipleship group, we were trained to read the Bible we were trained to follow Jesus, but we will, were also trained to be prepared to die for Jesus. It was almost every week our, our disciples, they were talking about a life, a consequent life, a life in uh, obedience, and so on. One of them was a woman. I just met her. She's 86 now. Uh, in Sacramento, she left Estonia, where I was living in, th in those years, and lives in Sacramento. And she's 86, and you you spend five minutes with her, you're already uh, already blessed because 
she is uh, she is speaking a language of a witness and the word witness in the new testament martus means martyria martyrdom so you prepare your life for martyrdom and that's the way they prepared us so when i came to the to the uh, to the labor camp i was actually prepared to die i was prepared to die of course you you're a young person i was engaged uh, my girlfriend was waiting for me and uh, i waited i expected a nice life with a beautiful girl and all of this but um, but there was an overriding issue the issue uh, you follow jesus and you do it consequently and you do it up to the last breath uh, in your life yeah that was the education yeah in your in your book missio politica you share a quote um, about the christian lifestyle as the ability to live in dignity even when this means losing every bit of it how did that that quote, you know, kind of affect your experiences, and how did you form that quote out of your experiences? You know, some of what I was telling you uh, will uh, uh, explains it. Um, you know, if, if you are with Jesus and you 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 are dignified because Jesus is your Lord, and He give you a new life, and in Jesus you are a new person. And in Jesus, you you have the uncomparable, uncomparable ability to live a life which is measured by heaven, not and not measured by whatever earthly standards. Then you want to keep that dignity, right? You want to live in that dignity, even if that means that you lose everything. Apostle Paul says, and Apostle Paul in that quotation out of Philippians chapter three, verse seven became the most important uh, verse in my life. He says, I count everything for rubbish in order to uh, to know him or know him, meaning understand him, understand his personality, understand his character, understand the very being of Jesus and to know the power of his resurrection in order to be able to suffer as he did. And uh, that's exactly the point. So I, I have to decide to declare everything else for rubbish in order to know him and the power of his resurrection. And experiencing power of resurrection means that you, you are experiencing a power which gets, gets a deaf person to back to life. And I could give you now many, many stories of laying on hands on sick and them becoming he uh, uh, healed. And uh, stories like in South Africa, you know, where there is no chance to move anything. And then you come in with the gospel. And all of a sudden, the gospel and the Lord does a miracle. Johannes, I'm wondering, along this pathway of your life and all that you have done and served you and your wife, Cornelia, You've been together in this, obviously, um, hear this in what you've shared so far. What have been the places where you have, well, I'm thinking of the word failed. It's not a fair word in this, but where have you, it's the learning things where you've realized, oh, I really fell short here. And sometimes that can be in the, you know, thinking of my own life, the realities of family, of neighborhood, of the people closest to us. What has been the journey of that part for you and for? Cornelia and the learning that happens there. 
Thank you, Phil, for that question. By the way, you know, only Western people ask that question. Mm -hmm. They, they all, always want to know where you failed because we fail so often, we in the Western world, and we almost excuse our failures because other people also fail. Other people also fail. In the Southern world, they never will ask you that question. But anyway, I am also asking the question. And uh, I would say the biggest failure of my life, cor corrected by, by the Lord, was uh, uh, the very marriage. You know, when I married Cornelia, uh, I married a servant. I mar married a person who would, uh, who would uh, uh, well, be at home and raise my children and welcome me coming back from ministry. I was the evangelist and the minister of the Lord. She was at home. And so one day being in Siberia and evangelizing in the labor camps of the, of the Siberian taiga, uh, the Holy Spirit just, just grabbed me. The Holy Spirit is a great fellow. When he gets on <laughs> you, you, you will, you will not be able to run away. So, and he says, Johannes, what are you doing here? I say, well, I'm evangelizing. I'm leading people to, to you. And he says, what is your wife doing? Say, well, she's home. She's raising our children. No, I'm asking you, what is your wife doing for me? What's your mission? And I was completely surprised by that question. So I said, well, she is my helper. She supports me. No, she said, he says, he is not your helper. She is my minister. And so what is she doing? So that question didn't leave me. So I had to go back home, and then we discussed this. And I said to Cornelia, I'm not going to go to any minister any longer. And I will not go anywhere. So first we'll find out what are your spiritual gifts? What's your calling? What is the Lord want to accomplish through you? And then I will, I will do my job. But that's the first thing I do, because I have to love you as Jesus loves, loves his church. And so I have to find out who you are. By that time, we were already married for a couple of years. You know, living with a woman called by the Lord to do a certain ministry and not supporting her in that ministry is actually a destructive power for your marriage and your life, but also for your ministry. And so, and then we, we, we discovered, discovered the world of blessing in the life of my wife. And, uh, and the whole, the, my whole ministry, our ministry changed completely. That's one story which I share with you. Well, thank you for that. I, you know, I think it touches on what people feel because they're aware of these realities, but it really does touch so close to home and it touches the everyday realities that, that all of us live. And you've been, this has been a great gift to have you stir it with your own story. And I know there's so much more here we could unpack. Uh, mm -hmm. And you know what? That is a great segue to our next episode as well, where we're really going to unpack that more. We're going to look at the role of family in ministry, our cultural mandate. We're going to explore political engagement. Um, and we're going to dive into these topics a little more. Yeah, and the importance of that peace and reconciliation, the work of this, the ministry of this, the ambassadorship that we share of this is so important in the mission of the church. Why is that? That's what we'll dive into 
in the next episode. Thank you, Johannes, for, for this first part and for being so vulnerable and honest with us today. You're welcome. 